You're listening to a Southside Baptist Church podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning, Lord, and Lord, we just want you to know we love you. We praise you for what you mean to everybody in this room. And God, I ask today that you would peel away the layers of our lives that are not pleasing to you. And even though it can be very painful, Lord, that we'll lay them at the foot of the cross and that we'll walk out of here changed. God, I pray that you would bind Satan, that you would keep him away, that you post your angels at every corner of this building. And Lord, that as Jeff comes to be your voice piece, Lord, that you'll use him. Lord, let us be people of the book, people who have a passion for you. Lord, where we serve you, whether it's here, at Walmart, Lord, wherever we are, that people will see you in us. And Lord, that we be used mightily by you, a broken people, God. God, I love you. I thank you for what you're doing in this church. And God, I pray in the days ahead that we will see you just rise up from the youngest child to the oldest senior adult, Lord, that we will be a people, that when people drive by on Raymond Road, they feel your spirit. God, we love you this morning. We trust you, and we ask you to do whatever you have to do in our lives to bring us to where we need to be. In your holy name, we pray these things. Amen. Well, amen. Let's remain standing for a moment. Take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. We're going to pick up at verse 20. So Mark chapter 11. Go over to the New Testament. Matthew, then Mark over in the New Testament. Mark chapter 11. And we're going to pick up at verse 20 today. We're talking about the subject of prayer. Jeffrey, don't leave. I want you to hear this first illustration. (laughs) You'll understand. Uh, James Goss had invited me to come to a ball game the other night, Friday night, and Will and Wes were playing, and their team, Pelahatchee, was playing another team. And so, uh, you know, I was excited. This first game, I was going to get to watch these boys, so I was excited. And the Goss boys, these twin guys are just great kids, you know. And, and so I was uh, there to watch this game. And the other team, from the first second that these guys took the field, the other team was in the dugout screaming and hollering the whole time. Well, Will got up to the mound. He was the first pitcher. And man, they were just screaming and hollering at him. As soon as he had released the ball, they'd scream at him. I mean, it was just, and it was just irritating me. Then Blue, the, the, the umpire behind the plate, he had a strike zone about like that, uh, you know, for, for, your, for your kid. Now, the other team, his strike zone looked about like that. And, and I got frustrated. In fact, I went behind the mound just to watch and see how Blue was calling the game. I was getting irritated by the moment. And, and, and this team was screaming the, I mean, just constantly. Well, they scored seven runs the first inning. And, and then uh, eventually Will came out and Wes went in. And Wes, his nature's a little different. And so they, uh, 
they scored a few on him. And, and uh, when I left, I think the game was 13 to nothing. And these guys didn't let up. I mean, as soon as somebody would come to bat, whoop, 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 man, they were hollering and screaming. As soon as the pitcher went to the mound, Will and Wes, you know, whoever it was, they were just screaming and hollering. I mean, standing up. I mean, right at the dugout. For every parent who's been there, you know what I'm talking about. In fact, I looked at James at one point and said, man, I'm so glad I'm out of this. But eventually, uh, I said, you know, maybe I'm bad luck. Maybe I need to leave. And, and uh, James's brother, his name's Jeffrey. They call him Uncle Jeffrey. Uncle Jeffrey was there and I was there. And, and so, they, uh, so finally James said, yeah, maybe both of you guys need to leave. It's the first time y'all come to a game and they were playing horrible. I mean, making all kinds of errors. Like on the first uh, ending, they, they made one error. I think it cost three or four runs. I mean, it was just over and over and over again. So uh, anyway, I finally said, look, man, I've got to go. I said, uh, I'm going to go ahead and leave. And so I, I left, and I said, but they, I said, I'm going to pray that they come back. Well, I went to the car, and I prayed all the way to the car, and I was just saying, God, just shut that bunch up. I mean, God, let these boys come back. And I really felt in my heart that God was going to answer that prayer. Well, I got home, and... A little while later, I looked at my phone. James said, well, it's 13 to 3. I said, thank you, Jesus. At least they won't get shut out. And, and, and I kept thinking to myself, I kept thinking to myself, I thought, you know, James is going to call me and tell me that they won this game. But that, call, that, that text never came. That call never came. I mean, I even looked at my phone through the night just looking to see if, if he texts me. Well, the next morning... Uh, on end of the morning, uh, something happened and uh, James texted me some, something that was going on, needed me to pray about or whatever. And he said, oh, by the way, they came back and beat that team 14 to 13. <laughs> and because they were the bottom of the ending, what they did, once they beat them 14 to 13, then they, then they stopped the game. Now you may say, Brother Jeff, what does that have to do with the passage today? Well, we're talking about prayer. We're talking about the power of prayer and the expectation that comes when you and I pray in faith. So Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 20, in the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for, and now watch this, underline this, dog-ear the page, Therefore, I tell you, Jesus is speaking here. Whatever you ask for in prayer, what's the next word? Believe. Believe that you have received it, it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you and we love you. And we give you glory, Lord. What a great worship. And Lord, we just praise you and 
We ask you now, dear Lord, to open up our hearts and minds to your word. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be uh, seated here. Billy Graham wrote a book called How I Pray, and he tells this story. He tells this story. He said, I heard about a young president of a company who instructed his secretary not to disturb him because he had an important appointment. Now, I want you to listen closely to this illustration. Billy Graham tells this story. He said, I heard about a young president of a company who instructed his secretary not to disturb him because he had an important, important appointment. The chairman of the board eventually came in and said, I want to see Mr. Jones. The secretary answered, I'm terribly sorry he cannot be disturbed. He has an important appointment. The chairman became angry. He banged upon the door and saw the president of his corporation on his knees in prayer. The chairman softly closed the door and he asked the secretary, Is this unusual? And she said, Yes, he does that every morning. To which the chairman of the board responded, Listen to this, No wonder I come to him for advice. Isn't that good? William Barclay said about prayer, he said, too many people, to too many people, prayer is either a pious ritual that is void of passion and substance, or it is a forlorn, forlorn uh, hope. He continued, now listen to this, he said, it should be, talking about prayer, it should be a thing of burning expectation. Maybe our problem, he went on to say, is that what we want from God is our answer, O-U-R, our answer, and we do not recognize H-I-S, His answer, when it comes. When you pray, do you believe? When you pray, when you pray, whatever you're praying about, do you find yourself initiated with such a faith, such a burning expectation that you literally are in that moment expecting God to answer. That's prayer. Prayer is an act of faith. Hudson Taylor said this. He was a great missionary to China. He said a prayer. Listen to this. He said, God uses men and women who are weak and so feeble that they lean only on God. Isn't that good? In fact, I wrote down here, prayer is leaning on God. Prayer is invading the heart of God. It's pounding on the door of His sovereignty. It's pressing in close to God, resting at His side until He answers and we see and understand God's will in the matter that we're praying about. Isn't that true? You know, a lot of times we think prayer is man's will on earth, but is that, is that true? What did Jesus say when we pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In fact, a writer said this, Prayer is not men's will on he in heaven, but God's will on earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But the problem is today is most of us approach prayer. Prayer about like a child approaching a parent. 
We live in a consumer age where today the church and our theology is based on consumerism. We have this idea or that God is some kind of errand boy that when we come to God in prayer, we're just simply mustering up enough faith and feeling to approach God and ask God to remedy whatever problem we're in or to provide whatever service we need. We see God about like a waitress at Cracker Barrel. But is that what Jesus is talking about here? You know, in James 5, 16, it says the... Listen to this. It says, The prayer of a righteous man is effectual and powerful. Powerful and effective. Now, when you look at this passage, first of all, go back to verses 11, well, uh, 12 through 14. In 12 through 14, as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem... The Bible says the next day as he was leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves. Now watch this because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Now let's pick up at verse 20. In the morning... As they went along, they saw the fig tree wither. Now notice this from the what? From the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Now, the background of this passage, you may say, well, a poor old fig tree. Well, the fig tree in this particular instance was literally Jesus in some ways using an analogy. When he cursed the fig tree, the fig tree was a picture of Israel. It was a picture of Israel. The, the fig tree was leafed out, but it had no fruit. And when he went into the temple, there was all kinds of pageantry and pomp and splendor. There was only one thing. It, there was nothing passionate and real. It was just performance. You ever had somebody look at you and say, we're married in name only? You ever heard somebody say that? What do they mean by that? You know, people sometimes will come for counseling. A woman will look at me and she'll say, you know, you know, Brother Jeff, there's no passion. There's no love. There's no emotion. In fact, the only way that you would know that I'm even tied to this man is because of my last name. We are married in name only. Let me ask you something. Is that the, the way some people see you? see me as a believer, a follower of Christ, only in name only. You see, the fig tree is dead. And Peter is fascinated by this power. He wants to know the source of this power. And that is, in essence, and I wrote this down, the faith of Jesus and the power of his prayer life was contagious. Jesus his own disciples would watch him often go off and pray, spend time in prayer, and they begin to ask him, Jesus, teach us to pray. Is your faith, let me ask you a question, is your faith contagious? Now by that, what I mean is this, is the intimate personal relationship that you have with God in the area of your prayer life, is it contagious. Dad, is your prayer life contagious? Mom, is your prayer life contagious? Anne Graham Lott told this story. 
She was talking about her mom. You know, I didn't know a lot until after Billy Graham died. But you know, Franklin Graham said his dad has been gone as much as seven months in a year out on the road preaching the gospel. And Graham Lott said that it was that her mom was a woman of prayer. She said often what would happen is this. She said that she would go to bed at night upstairs, and while she was upstairs going to bed, she would look out and she could see the glow. She could see the glow of her mom's light still on downstairs reflecting off the woods. And she knew in that moment that her mom was in prayer. Andy Stanley said of this, he said, It was not unusual for me to walk by the bedroom of my dad, Charles Stanley, and see him on his knees in prayer. Dad, Mom, do your children see you on your knees in prayer? Do you put your, do you put your hand on your child some nights? and say to them, listen, let me pray for you. Do you stop before they go into the daycare or before you're dropping them off or you're putting them in school? Do you stop, Mom, and take a moment and say, let me, let me pray for you before you get out of the car? Is your prayer life contagious to the degree that your children want to copy it? Do you put your hand on your children and pray for them? Men, do you put your hand on your wife and say, look, let me pray for you. Are you known as a man of prayer? Can I pray for you? Do you know the power when you touch your child and say those words? Do you know the power in that moment of the hectic morning that you put your children through? Because sometimes the reality is we want all the stuff of the world and so we're endlessly working long hours to ensure that our children have a lot of things and stuff. There's only one problem they need most of all. They need your hand on their shoulder. Let me pray for you before you get out. Are you a man or a woman? Are you a mom? Are you, are you somebody of prayer? Do you touch your children and pray for them? Student, do you do that? Some people would say, well, you know, this is unnatural. It's awkward. I'm, 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 not, I'm not comfortable with it. I'm 62 years old and I'm finally learning to tell my dad I love you. My dad's 88. My dad grew up in a time when men didn't say that. And he'll listen to this. But he grew up in a time and a generation when men didn't say that. Men were quiet, stoic. They were a little not apt to say those words, I love you. Their idea was, well, I provide and I, 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 I demonstrate that love, but as far as verbally saying, I love you, it was very difficult. One thing that I tried to do as a pastor, I wanted to tell people that I love them. It's funny because Mark Bowman and I will meet sometimes to eat. Mark's this big NFL-looking guy. And uh, we'll be down at Nukes and Brandon, and uh, we'll get ready to leave. And, and I'll say, hey, Mark, I love you. <laughs> Corey, my son-in-law, was here the other day, and he was working outside. And I went out there and 
talk to him for a minute, and I say, Corey, I love you. <laughs> I was in Primo's eating with Gary Blakeney, and Gary Blakeney is every bit of man's man. And uh, eating with him one day, and we got ready to leave, and I just said, hey, Gary, I love you. Lunchtime. Love you, Gary. You know, it's awkward, isn't it? And sometimes prayer can be awkward. Uh, I wrote these down. Number one, we need to teach our children to pray and we need to be physical when we pray for them. Number two, if it's awkward or it's uncomfortable, do it anyway. In fact, number three, do it until it's no longer awkward or uncomfortable to where you get to the point that people know that when, you, when they share a need, you're going to say, well, let's pray right now because listen, never put off prayer. I don't care where you are, in your work, in a restaurant, wherever you are, when somebody, when you ask them, what can I pray about, or what's going on in your life, or they come up to you and say, listen, I need you to pray about this. You say, well, let's pray right now. There's power in that. Learn to pray to the degree that you're so comfortable with it that you'll just do it anywhere. I met a man the other day. In fact, I was with Mark Bowman. We were in Nukes getting ready to leave. And a guy came in. He's one of those guys that he's got his gun on his side. He holds a position in the state. And uh, he began to say to me, he began to say, Brother Jeff wanted to let, he's, no, he's not a member here, it was years ago. He said, Brother Jeff, just want you to know you prayed for my wife. She got that job and I just wanted you to know that. We're standing right in front of the register getting ready to walk out. And I looked at him and I said, hey, Mark, let's pray and thank the Lord. Let's give God a, let's give God a, a, a prayer of praise. Prayer is natural. Let me tell you, you have difficulty sharing your faith. Here's the key. Just look at somebody and say, listen, how can I pray for you? Because you know what we find over and over again? Sheila and I, we were eating out again this Thursday. We were eating out Thursday evening. We go out to eat on Thursday. And, and, and this beautiful young lady was waiting on us. And Sheila said to her, she said, listen, how can we pray for you? And the girl began to tear up and start to cry there at the table. This is the second time in two weeks. With an, in another restaurant with somebody else. And she said, my mom has cancer. It's come back for the third time. And she said, I, if you need to, I need you to pray for me. And we prayed right then. Secondly, the faith that works. Look at verses 22 through 24. Jesus had faith. He said, have faith in God. Jesus answered, watch this. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done. Zechariah 4, 7 says this. What are you, O mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. In this passage, one writer said that when Jesus spoke about a mountain, he was talking about, a, it's an exaggeration. Hyperbole, is that it? It's a, yeah, it's, a, it's the idea of an exaggeration here. We, uh, Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, in Jewish imagery, a mountain signified, listen to this, something that was strong, immovable, a problem that would stand in the way, and only God could move a mountain. Let me ask you something. Do you have something right now 
that looks like a mountain in front of you? Do you have some kind of God-sized request, an impossibility, an immovable problem that is beyond your, beyond your strength and your resources and requires a level of faith? You know, prayer's not, I dream of genie. You remember I dream of genie? You know a genie that get a genie out of a bottle. What do you do? You just rub it. John Newton, who was the author of Amazing Grace, said in the hymn, Come, My Soul, he said, Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power are such, none, listen to this, what John Newton said, none can ever ask too much. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says we have not, because why? We ask not. Prayer is trusting not only in God's ability to provide, but His wisdom to give us what we need. Sometimes a prayer is not answered. You may say, well, you know, I've been praying about something for a long time, and it just hasn't, it just hasn't worked out yet. God hasn't answered that prayer. Maybe you're not in a position yet where you need to be spiritually a level of maturity to be entrusted with the answer to that prayer. I find that sometimes in my life. You know, Sam's a good boy, and it's good to have my oldest grandson here. And uh, Sam's really smart, aren't you? You mind if I brag on my grandson for a moment? He's, he's, he's nodding his head. Yeah, I'm pretty smart. Pretty smart. Gifted program. Pretty smart. You know, but uh, Sam, would you like a car? Would you like a new truck, Sam? You would? Okay, he'd Sam like a new truck. But let me tell you something. The woman behind him, his mom, will tell him no. Though he wants it, though he asks for it. Now, Eric Seals has a new truck out there. You may just want to get that one. That's a good-looking truck. Eric, I'll beat you to heaven, and when I get there, you'll know me. I'll be driving that truck. But let me tell you something. Sam's mom would say to Sam, you're not old enough and mature enough to handle the responsibility of a truck. Sometimes God does not answer our prayers because spiritually we're not at a place for Him to answer our prayers. But it doesn't mean that He's saying no. A lot of times God's not saying no. He's saying what? Wait. Thirdly, Jesus throws in something else that I that to me I think is interesting. In verse 25, do you notice how it almost, he almost tags it? Because in verse 24 he says, therefore I tell you. Look at this. I've got it underlined. Dog ear the page. He said, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Now that's a powerful promise. But then he comes in verse 25 and he says, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. You know, prayer ought to draw us close, shouldn't it? And you know, sometimes God may not answer your prayer, he may not answer my prayer, because when we draw near to God in intimacy, in that time of prayer, do you know the problem is sometimes, is we've got, un, we've got unforgiveness in our heart. We've got bitterness. We've got something that keeps us in a position to where God cannot answer our prayer. You know what, a prayer, you know what prayer does? Prayer draws people together. 
It doesn't separate. And if you're separated, if you're alienated, if you're ostracized, if you have unforgiveness, bitterness toward anybody, then the reality is, is God will tell you this. You know what the Bible says in Matthew 18? The Bible said that if you come here to pray at this altar and something comes to your mind, you remember somebody that you have a difference with, it says go to that person, try as best you can to sort through that, then come back to the altar. I had a man years ago, I was in Zimbabwe, he was a deacon in a church that I'd pastored, and he called me one day in Zimbabwe. Let me tell you, this was years ago when landlines, which is what you had, it was horrible. You almost felt like you were going, uh, you would speak, and then you go 10-4. You know, it, it was like you were talking on a radio. It was very primitive. And so I hear this familiar voice on the other end. And, and, and this man says to me, he said, Brother Jeff, this is so-and-so. Well, I thought to myself, something tragic has happened. Why would this deacon from two churches ago call me? And then he said these words. He said, Brother Jeff, I'm calling you because I need to ask you to forgive me. He said, for years, every time I go to the altar, he said, to be honest, when I go to the altar and I pray, I see your face. Will you forgive me? And I said, brother, I forgave you a long time ago. But he needed to be forgiven. He needed to experience that so that he could pray. I'm telling you, listen to me, some in this room, the reason God cannot answer your prayer is because you've got bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart. You can't let go of it. And God says, listen, you're going to have to work through that. But you know, there's something else about prayer, and I thought this was good. I was reading this. It's written by John Fisher. He wrote a book called Contemporary Christian Music. Now, I don't know what this story had to do with contemporary Christian music, but I think what he was saying was he was thinking that he was basically saying that God desires communion, fellowship with us. That's part of prayer. Prayer is not always petition. It's also the intimacy of communion, fellowship, worship. But he, he said this, and I cried when I read this to Sheila because I thought this sounds like Sheila. He said, this man here, John Fisher, he said, I have a bad habit. When my children tell me something they've learned for the first time, I often will act as if I knew that. Even worse, sometimes I'll tell my children how the same thing happened to me a few years ago. But when my wife hears something new from the kids, her mouth drops open, her eyes widen. It's as if she's never heard this kind of thing before. The kids' faces begin to brighten. They feel as if they have actually enlightened their mother. I used to think my wife was just acting and sooner or later the kids would find out and feel that she had lied to them. Then I realized that it wasn't an act at all. Though she may already have experienced what they were trying to tell her, she never experienced it through them. Their personal revelations were entirely new to her, and it is the same with God. Now, this man, I'm sure, is talking about worship. As an all-knowing and sovereign God, 
I'm sure God's still eager to hear our prayers because He's never heard it quite the way we say it. We are, each one of us, unique. We have our own signature attached to all that we do and say. Our lives, our experiences, our faith expressed to God are never old to God. In other words, what he was saying is, is that part of prayer is communion, it's fellowship, it's an intimacy with God. It's worship. It's worship. Let me ask you a question, close in a moment. Do you pray for the lost? Do you pray for the lost? Do you even care anymore? Let me ask you something. Have you convinced yourself that uh, there's no hell? There's no eternity? There's no heaven? Maybe you don't even believe in heaven. Maybe your faith is absolutely to the degree that it's, as Paul said, shipwrecked. You're living in a cultural environment today that's anti-faith, anti-belief. Maybe it's wearing you down. Maybe you still go through the motions, but the reality is you don't know whether you believe there's eternity, there's a life beyond this life. And let me tell you one of the problems that will bring is you don't care about lost people anymore. You don't care whether people go to heaven or hell. You don't really care because you're not even sure if you believe anymore. C.T. Studd, the great cricket player, stated, Some wish to live within the sound of a chapel bell. I want to run, run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. This past week, Willie and I came into this room here. He came in. I'd been in here praying. And when he came into the building, he came sat down right there. I was sitting there and I said, Willie, I want to talk to you for a moment. I said, Willie, do you realize that the people you and I run into contact with every day and we were getting ready to go out and minister to the homeless, do you realize that men and women, boys and girls, without Jesus Christ are in danger of spending eternity in hell separated from God? That's not popular anymore. Nobody wants to hear it. Let me tell you something. If, if the Bible is not correct about eternity and about destinations and about choices that we make, if the Bible is not correct about hell, then the Bible's not correct about heaven, the Bible's not correct about Christ. But I think we live in a day nowadays where a lot of people don't believe in it anymore. So we don't pray anymore. You know, we listened to a video a, a moment ago where a man was talking about the first hour. He said, my day is a 10-hour day. He said, so I tithe one hour. He said, I get up early and I spend one hour in the Word of God and in prayer before I begin my day. But let me tell you what will happen when you and I get to that level of intimacy in our prayer. We begin to pray for lost people. Can't help it. You know, um, and I'll close with this and praise team can come on. You can go ahead and stand. Wednesday, I got a call. I, I do a little chaplain ministry to uh, Southern Electric. It's a company that has uh, doubled in size just in a matter of the last couple of years. One of the men, a key figure in that company, had been diagnosed with cancer, had been fighting it for six and a half years. 
I got an email from a secretary in the office that said that he had been moved to hospice and that um, he didn't have long to live. It would be days. So Wednesday, I went to hospice, and anybody that's ever been into a hospice, it's a depressing place to be. It's horrible. So I walked into this hospice, and as I came in and found out what room he was in, I walked into this room. And this man is not near about my age. This man has an 18-year-old daughter. Uh, This man had been battling cancer for over six years. But he was hours from death. And so when I walked into the room, I had never met that man before. He was laying up there, and he was breathing what we call the death rattle. You know what I'm talking about. If you've ever seen anybody die, we call it a death rattle. It's where they're kind of in and out of consciousness, and they, they can't speak any longer, and they're just laying there as if they're waiting, and you hear that rattle, that that, that, that chest, you see it working, laboring to breathe. He had the death rattles, the death rattle. He was only a few hours from death. He was getting ready to die. His daughter and his, and his wife were there. His daughter was right there to my left, 18 years old, was sitting there booing and crying. When I walked in, I said, uh, hello, I'm, I'm Jeff Parker. I said, I'm, I'm the chaplain with Southern Electric. When I said that, that man in that death rattle, his eyes popped open and he cut those eyes over and looked at me. And his daughter began to cry. And she said, my dad listened to the devotion every Monday morning. She laughed and said, my dad said, you was the best thing the company ever did. And I eventually walked over there and I called him by name and I said, you and I have never met before, but undoubtedly you know my voice. I want to pray for you. And with his wife and his daughter and a friend, a few minutes later a police officer came in who had been a friend. I prayed for him. A few hours later he died. He went to be with the Lord. He was a Christian. Let me tell you something. You and I visually have never seen Jesus. None of us have seen him. We don't know what he looks like. Uh, Physically, we couldn't tell you anything about his appearance. We we see an artist's rendition, but we always kind of smile and say they they don't look right. And closest thing we kind of thought maybe might be a reflection was we, we began to look at the Shroud of Turin and we thought, well, maybe that's, a, maybe that's a picture of Jesus. But none of us know Him. We don't know Him physically. We've never seen Him visually. But you pray long enough, you know His voice. Right? You sense in your heart the power and presence of the indwelling Holy Spirit and you know His voice and you hear Him. The Bible says that one day, David Jeremiah made this statement. He said for the first time, he said, no prophecy needs to be fulfilled. He said, and I don't know that I will not get to see the rapture of the church. David Jeremiah's in his 70s. I would say about 70s. One day the Bible says that the trump of God will sound and the dead in Christ will rise. 
and we who are alive and remain shall be called up. That's where the word rapture comes from. And let me tell you what we'll hear. We'll hear his voice. And you know what he's going to say? It's time to come home. Do you know his voice today? Are you a Christian? Have you given your life to him? Have you repented of your sin? Accepted, received him as your Lord and Savior? Invited him to, into your life to be the Lord of your life, the Master? Are you filled with his Holy Spirit? That's number one. Are you a Christian? If you're not, you need to come today and say, I'm coming to repent of my sin and receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. I want to do what TJ and others have done, what Therese did last week. I want to be baptized and follow in baptism and live the rest of my life for Christ. That's number one. Number two, let me ask you something. Are you a Christian but you've quit talking to him? Have you lost a level of intimacy and fellowship because you're not in the Word of God like you need to be and you're not in prayer and God's speaking to you and God's saying it's time to come home? Time to come back to where you used to be? You know, couples come all the time they'll say, you know, we don't love each other anymore. They come down the aisle sometimes and have said that. We fell out of love. That's right, you fell out of love, but you can fall back into love. You just do what you did you fell in love. Same is with Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, we love you and we give you glory. Lord, prayer is an act of faith. I've often thought the idea of standing up in a room and talking out loud into nothingness. The idea of bowing your head at a table in a public restaurant and speaking and praying and thanking God for the food that you're about to eat. I've often thought of the mom who holds up the line just for a moment as she reaches over, puts her hand, or a dad puts his hand on his son or his daughter, and he says, before you get out of the car, she says, before you get out of the car, let me pray for you. I think about the dad who goes in there by the bed of his son or daughter puts his hand across the chest, even maybe as they're asleep, and begins to pray down heaven over their children. Think about the man or the woman who prays and puts her hand on their spouse and says, I, I love you, let me, let me pray for you. Prayer is an act of faith. And may, dear Lord, today, may we be such men and women of prayer that our prayer would be contagious, that people would come to us and say, would you pray for me? And we could smile and say, let me pray for you now. Lord, speak to our hearts. And we give you glory for what you do in the name of Jesus.